the Fire Within Podcast. You need a sustainable plan, the right mindset, and the knowledge and inspiration to stoke the fire within. Just like the Phoenix, you can burn your old habits, never turn back, and emerge completely anew. There are no shortcuts. The views and opinions expressed on this show are not meant to be used as medical advice. Consult your doctor before implementing any health or exercise changes. The Fire Within encourages you to do your own research and aims to spark interest and motivation to a healthier lifestyle. Welcome, Fire Within Nation. This is the Fire Within Podcast, where we talk about all things health, nutrition, and fitness-related. I'm your host, Brandon, with my co-host, Joe. Hello. Well, we just finished a workout. How are you doing? I feel like I just worked out. Awesome. Uh, we have a special guest today. We have Dr. Nora Witten. Dr. Nora Witten is an orthopedic and pelvic floor physical therapist. She specializes in treating the hip, low back, and pelvic floor. And she's passionate about bridging the gap between orthopedic and pelvic floor physical therapy. Now, she also worked with my mom and did an amazing job. So I'm sure we'll talk about that some today. She grew up as a competitive gymnast and diver and continues to be active through weightlifting and believes anyone can be active without pain or limitations, uh, given the right guidance. Welcome, Nora. Thank you for having me. I'm a physical therapist, like you said, and I always grew up as an athlete. You know, sports were really important to me. I knew I always wanted to do something in the health and fitness field and then found physical therapy when I was in college, a career path, and then really haven't looked back since. And I'm really passionate about helping people be active and stay active without pain. I think that's really important. And also helping people to understand their body a little bit more, just how they move, why we do things, and just have a better understanding of how things work. Awesome. Now, why specifically pelvic floor and in that region, hip and knee and that kind of area? So the pelvic floor was one area that we learned about in school, but it was really just the basics, uh, pretty much a few classes. And I ignored it the first few years of my practice, uh, like a lot of physical therapists do, I think. And then just really felt like I was missing a piece of the body. Like I knew that it related to a lot of things, but didn't really know how. And then I had a patient where she just wasn't really getting better, had a lot of back pain. And once we started addressing her pelvic floor, her pain got much better. So that was just really a light bulb for me. And I knew that I couldn't just ignore that part of the body anymore. Yeah. Now, for our listeners who have no idea what a pelvic floor is, I used to make I was just going to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> I used to sit in the back of yoga class and, and every time she said pelvic floor, we'd snicker. So explain to them exactly what is the pelvic floor? But the only knowledge I have of pelvic floor is there's this HBO series called Camping with uh, Jennifer Gardner, who is from Alias. Have you seen this? Mm-mm. But the main character of the show complains the whole show about her pelvic floor <laughs> to the point where it's like really comical, but they didn't really explain what it was. She's just like, I can't do that. But my pelvic That's a great question. So everyone has a pelvic floor. A lot of people think that it's just a women's health thing. Everyone has one. So it's just the muscles that are at the base of your pelvis. And so they attach to your spine, um, to your pelvis, and they sit like a bowl. So they're rounded shaped and they're going to do a lot of things. They help us keep our bodily fluids in and then also let them out at the appropriate time. They work with our diaphragm muscle and our breathing and our posture, a lot of support around the hip, pelvis and spine. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I'm doing Kegels right now, Joe. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I did not need to know that. <laughs> now, now, is that also integrated like with multifidi and some of the deep core muscles? Definitely. So the pelvic floor muscles are part of your core. So really our deepest core is the pelvic floor muscles on the bottom. And then our multifidus is on our back in between each vertebra and our spine. 
We have our diaphragm and then our transverse abdominis. So all four of those muscles can make a box. And the job of those muscles is to increase intra-abdominal pressure to maintain our stability. Yeah. Awesome. Now, how can you activate these muscles? So the best way to do that is actually through breathing. So as you take a deep breath in, your diaphragm muscle is going to move down and compress everything in your abdominal cavity. And at the same time, your pelvic floor muscles are also going to lengthen. And then when you exhale, the pelvic floor muscles um, contract, move back up to their starting position at the same time that the diaphragm is moving back up. So that's one of the main things that I work on with a lot of my patients is just their breathing mechanics uh, because that has a very big role in your pelvic floor. Now, is it more so that people have trouble activating it during exercise or more that through daily activities and sitting, do they not activate or just dysfunctionally activate? What happens with the pelvic floor that can lead to back pain, hip pain, knee pain? Oh, so many things. <laughs> so it's usually more a lack of the whole system kind of being off. Like I said, it's not just, oh, can you do a Kegel and activate your pelvic floor? But if we're just lacking a lot of that stability, and especially with our transverse abdominis muscle, so our pelvic floor has connections to the transverse abdominis muscle through fascia and connective tissue. So if you're having trouble activating your transverse abdominis, there might be something going on with the pelvic floor that could be playing into that. Um, or if just those muscles in general are stuck or holding a lot of tension, they're not going to be moving fluidly f through their full range of motion. So I um, usually use my bicep as an example. Like if my arm is stuck or my elbow is bent and I try to use my bicep, it's not going to be very strong. But if I can straighten out my elbow, let my bicep muscle lengthen, I can then get a good contraction out of it. So some of the pelvic uh, floor muscles are stuck into contraction. They can be, yeah. Some, and it, it varies. Some people have more tension. Other people do just have that weakness. Now, how does that affect the hip? In very similar ways. So our glutes as well, you know, those muscles attached to our pelvis. And so if our glutes aren't doing their job of really stabilizing, that can make the pelvic floor muscles have to work a lot harder. The deep hip rotators like our piriformis, and then we have a whole other group of muscles. Those can get really tight too and cause some hip pain. Our psoas muscles, just one of our hip flexors, that can take over sometimes and get a lot of that like pinching pain in the front. That can also give some back pain because it does attach onto the spine. So everything really like plays into each other. It's yeah. never usually just one thing. Yeah. Now, one population I imagine you specialize in would be pregnant women or post-pregnancy mm -hmm. um, or even prenatal. Can you tell us a little bit about what happens to the pelvic floor? What are some concerns that can happen both pre, during, and post-pregnancy to where having somebody like you in their life could be beneficial? Pre-pregnancy, people who aren't pregnant or have never been pregnant can have pelvic floor issues. So especially in the really athletic population, that's where we tend to see some mismanagement of intra-abdominal pressure, like people really grip with their abs. So if you already are using that strategy and then you get pregnant, you're adding a baby that's adding a little bit more pressure down on the pelvic floor. And then if you're continuing to use that um, upper ab gripping strategy, holding your breath, that can put a lot more stress through the pelvic floor. And then as baby grows, our transverse abdominis muscle gets stretched out, which is going to weaken it. And that's a normal part of pregnancy that has to happen. But then post-pregnancy, if you're not doing something to correctly rehab that muscle, it's going to stay weak. And if that's weak, something else is going to have to take over. And again, usually that's like the upper abs or some of those deep hip rotators, the psoas, things like that. And 
then that can also like, you know, lead to more hip pain, back pain. But if we're not managing that pressure correctly, then that's what can lead to the leaking or prolapse and things like that. Gotcha. Now I had a, this is more lifting related. Uh, a lot of people, especially for heavy lifting, recommend using Valsalva's maneuver. I experimented with this for a while and was able to lift much more weight than I could previous, but then ended up with a hemorrhoid and decided it wasn't worth it. And now I just, I don't go particularly heavy anymore. It's just not. What are your thoughts on doing heavy lifts using Valsalva's maneuver? So if you don't have any pelvic floor issues, if you're not pregnant or nearly postpartum, it's definitely a strategy that can be used. You can lift more weight because you're increasing your intra-abdominal pressure. So it's giving a lot more stability for your legs to do the moving. It's something that I do not recommend, like I said, for pregnant women. So as soon as I got pregnant, I did not lift heavier than I could if I couldn't breathe. So I made sure I was always breathing during my lifting. I stopped wearing a belt. That's another thing too. And then same thing with newly postpartum. We want to make sure that we're not putting too much stress down on the pelvic floor. And even for people who, you know, aren't pregnant or postpartum or don't have issues, it's not something I'd recommend doing like over and over. But if you're training specifically for a one rep max squat, it's probably safe to use. Cool beans. Now, uh, I got to get an idea of what you do and had a session with you. And uh, you put me through a couple quick assessments and you told me more about my body in one hour than an entire team of orthopedic surgeons and chiropractors. Tell, tell a little bit about your process. Why is it different? Why were you able to pinpoint things even without x-rays so quickly? So my training is really focused on what we can see and movement. So x-rays can give us information, but it was very heavily drilled into us to not treat an image in, in my schooling. A session with me, I'm going to talk to you about what's going on. You ask you about your symptoms. Where do you feel it? When? What makes it better? What makes it worse? Things like that. And then I go through a head-to-toe assessment. I just want to generally see how everything's moving. So even someone who's coming to me for a lower body issue, I'm still going to have them do some neck and shoulder movements. I just want to make sure there's nothing crazy going on. If someone has hip pain but they can barely put their arm over their head, like I definitely want to know that. And then I'll go a little bit more specifically to that joint. I'll also have them do some functional movements like squatting, single leg squatting, maybe single leg deadlift. I may watch them walk or run, especially if they're coming to me for a problem with running. And then go specifically more to that joint. So I'll just do some passive range or I'll have, or I will have the person lay on the table. They'll stay relaxed and I'll move their joints around and just get a feel for how much motion do they actually have? Does it match what I saw actively? I'll palpate around on the muscles, see what's tender or feels like if there's a lot of tension. And then based all on that information, I can gather what's going on and based on you know, what I saw actively and then what muscles are tight, that usually can tell me how someone is maybe compensating. But I'm always trying to like sneakily look at their posture and breathing without telling them to because that can give us a lot of good information. Yeah, awesome. And then one other interesting thing I wanted to touch on, and I know this isn't your area of expertise, but when I took my mom in, you were talking about, we were talking about pain and the fact that sometimes your brain can send pain signals somewhere to where there's no cause. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought it'd be neat to just touch on that a little bit. Tell us generally what could be going on there. What are they experiencing? This is a really interesting topic and, you know, yeah, definitely not my um, area of expertise, but something I do know a little bit about. 
And what will happen is our brain learns pain. So for a lot of people, they will have some injury, whether it's to their muscle or bone or something happens. But then even after their tissue is healed, they still have pain. So the way I like to describe it is if you stepped on a nail and it went through your foot, that would hurt pretty bad. You'd have a hole in your foot and it probably would hurt when you would walk you because that tissue is damaged. But then imagine that tissue heals. Everything looks good. But every time you walk, you still feel that nail. So there's no damage, but you're still feeling that pain. Yeah. Now, now, Joe, we were even talking about how when people like lose an arm, if they, you could tell the story better than I could. Yeah, I remember it was from like, it was like, a, I think it was House. It was like a TV show thing. And a guy had a lot of pain in his arm and House was explaining like he had lost his left arm and they put a mirror so that it looked like he could see his other arm in the reflection and it was there. Mm-hmm. And he had to make a fist really hard and then release it. And on releasing it, it released the pain that he was feeling in the amputated limb. Mm-hmm. So that made me think about when Brandon was telling me about you're saying this idea of like our body still registering pain after the pain is gone. How how do you treat something like that? Is that kind of hokum made up for TV or is that? <laughs> no, uh, it's, it's definitely a real thing. What they've shown to be the most effective is actually teaching people about pain and how pain works and not so much teaching people like about their tissues, but explaining how pain works and how the brain learns pain and helping them to understand that pain doesn't equal damage because usually in in those patients there's a lot of fear around movement too and so we want to fear if you do the same similar thing right yeah so trying to get them slowly back into exercise and basically reverse that pattern in the brain of thinking right now they think movement's dangerous so then we got to slowly work them back into training their brain to say okay this isn't dangerous like we can do this is that something you see pretty commonly is there like a, a good amount of people walking around that don't really have pain but the brain's telling them they have pain it's, yeah it's definitely a common thing I, I don't see a ton of that there are physical therapists who specialize in chronic pain and that's pretty much all that they treat and those people are amazing the way they can explain things but it, yeah it's super common for that to happen I've had a couple interesting conversations this week with therapists, even a hypnotherapist and and just a general practitioner and similar like linchpin traumatic events. But it's almost like they have a similar effect physically, like you're saying, with the Mm -hmm. until they address that. So is some of this subconscious or is this things that they can directly think about and make a difference? It's definitely things they can think about and make a difference. I think the most important thing for them to recognize too is that they're not making it up the pain that they feel is real but helping them to like shift their thinking around it and I think sometimes that's really hard for people and really sad because they'll have been told by multiple practitioners there's nothing wrong with you you shouldn't have this much pain and that can be like really devastating for someone to hear yeah. Now, there's a resource you shared with me. Do you recall what that site was that's got a really great five-minute clip that explains it very well? Um, I believe it's called tamethebeast.org, and that is by some pain science researchers. They're the top of their field, so they do the best job, I think, of explaining it. Yeah. Now, on a side note, in terms of thought process and how that interacts with your body, we've talked a little bit on this show, Epigenetics, um, we have even brought up Dr. Bruce Lipton and some of his research, but we know that the thoughts you have and your perspective and attitude could actually change the protein coding surrounding your DNA strands. And in, in extreme cases, they've even seen where people are able to change their beliefs, perspective, and attitude. They've even sent cancer into remission, which is pretty wild. I'm wondering if it has a similar tie-in with chronic pain and things like that. Yeah, I definitely think so. Research has shown that 
the number one predictor of physical therapy working is if the patient thinks physical therapy will work, which is crazy. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. I've had people come in to see me before, and the first thing they say is, I don't think you can do anything for me, but they start telling me their story. And so it's right then I'm like, you're right, I, I probably can't if yeah. that's what you believe. I'm really into the science behind things. And I think one of the best ways to explain at least the physiological response with that negative belief is we know that negative beliefs can actually change hormones. And so if you have an increase in norepinephrine and adrenaline and some of the fight or flight hormones, that can contribute to maybe tightnesses in the muscle. So I'm wondering if that's part of it. And what I thought was interesting, the very first thing he had my mom do was deep breathing to learn how to lessen and dull in the pain. And even if they don't believe the belief side of things, there is a physical hormonal measurable change in cortisol, norepinephrine, and adrenaline from taking the deep breaths and trying to settle down um, mm -hmm. that pain. So I'm sure that's, mm -hmm. there's a component of that in too, if some people have a hard time grasping those concepts. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Being able to just relax and that deep breathing is going to stimulate our parasympathetic nervous system. So just will calm everything down and at least help them manage that pain a little bit better. Yeah. And that's not to say somebody doesn't can have a herniated disc and we say, ah, just breathe it away. Right. Well, there's oftentimes there are actual physical things, but, but especially more so for people like we discussed with trauma, mm -hmm. uh, long histories of that, traumatic events and things like that. Uh, I think it can make a big difference. And I'd be interested in fibromyalgia research mm -hmm. and if there's been any research done with that um, mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I know Yeah, with fibromyalgia, it's pretty similar. Again, that's not something that I see a ton of, but yeah, getting most people just moving again and yeah, changing their beliefs around exercise can be very helpful. Yeah, because yeah, I've had a couple clients in the past with fibromyalgia and particularly back pain seems mm -hmm. to be what really makes exercise difficult for them. But at that time, I didn't have any knowledge or research of the belief side of things and breathing and, and this pain, this chronic pain research. That's a whole area of study I didn't even know existed. But it's, uh, it's scientifically proven stuff. It's not theory of how that's working. The brain's pretty powerful. I thought it was pretty neat. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's like I said, I think all of this stuff is super interesting and the kind of psychological side of rehab is, there's a lot to it. Yeah. I'm curious, Brandon, when you talked about how you went and, and saw Dr. Nora and she told you more about your body in the time that you were there than you knew, what kind of practical stuff did you walk away with? The most important thing I walked away with that's been driving me crazy, I'm a personal trainer. And I have never in my entire life been able to squat past 90 degrees. And that's like the thing you should be able to do. And I never knew why. I could teach people to do it, but my body was physically incapable of it. And then I went snowboarding and I could not get up without unclipping. It was such a miserable experience. After the third time on the bunny slope, I paid to go to Colorado and go <laughs> on this freaking mountain. I took it off. I said, screw it. I'm getting chicken fingers. And that's what I did. But you were able to tell me why my femur attaches to my acetabulum at the wrong angle. And many people have seen x-rays. I've had surgery done, but you were able to tell me right away with a couple movement assessments and that made all the sense in the world. So I physically can't do it because of the bone structure of my femur and my hip and how it all connects. And that was like the biggest weight off my shoulders. I'm not a crappy trainer. And I've never forced people to squat lower than they thought was comfortable as long as it was, wasn't just 
you know, fear or, pro- or improper form. So if they're like, this is it, I've never forced them to. And I'm glad I haven't because <laughs> I have made, been trying to make them push past a structural block. So anybody else out there that's a trainer <laughs> or into lifting and you can't squat past 90, it may not mean there's something wrong with what you're doing. It might just be your physical makeup. But that was my biggest takeaway I was thrilled about. And you also gave me uh, the gift of the bretzel. Yes, that's my favorite stretch. Yeah, he tried it on me like the next day. I could barely do it. <laughs> yeah, just keep at it. You'll get there. Yeah, but I, that was such valuable information, uh, not just to me, but to my clients as well. And one of the things I really appreciate about yoga is every good yoga instructor emphasizes you don't have to look like me. You do what your body's capable of doing, and it's probably not going to look the same. And I think that's important with exercise. I mean, then to... Uh, understand that there's certain moves that maybe you can't do mm-hmm. like overhazing overhead pressing with the bar for a lot of people may or may not be a good idea for me it's a terrible idea so it doesn't mean that you're weak or something's wrong with you if you can it's just it might be your structural makeup it could also be form a lot of times it's not holding the shoulder blades back and down and so so on and so forth but i just thought that was a, a really big takeaway for me mm-hmm. yeah yeah i love being able to teach people new things that they haven't learned before yeah <laughs> And I've had some world-class physicians and surgeons, all kinds of stuff. So that was pretty neat. Have you ever felt like you were just throwing weights around like an idiot at the gym, hoping to see some results? Or after weeks or months of working out, notice that the scale just isn't moving? You wouldn't cook without a recipe. So why would you train or start a weight loss program like the Swedish chef randomly throwing ingredients into a pot? You need a sustainable plan that's science-based and attainable. Fire Within has worked with thousands of clients and helped them reach their goals. So visit firewithinnf.com today. Get yourself the free ebook, read the testimonials, and choose a service that works for you. Choose from services like one-on-one nutrition coaching, one-on-one personal training, and more. Again, that's firewithinnf.com. So some of the issues that you discover when you find out people's limitations with their movement is some of it, is some of it something that you can correct with like corrective exercises? Yeah. So everyone gets homework from me. Uh, so I give them, uh, usually the first day I might only give them like one or two things, just something to get them started. But pretty much everything that I see we can correct, certainly something like Brandon's hips where he has that bony you know, block. We're not going to change that. But there's still some other flexibility things around the hip that I think we could improve. Uh, so there's usually something that we can work on. And through a very focused, intentional work, we can retrain those movement patterns. That's cool. Yeah. I got a question. So my daughter's knees, Mm -hmm. she has too much of the tendon that connects them. And so her knee was floating around in there and Mm -hmm. it kept popping out. Mm -hmm. And then one day it popped out and it wouldn't go back and she had to get surgery. And they basically got some tendons off of a cadaver Mm -hmm. and re-put the tendons in. And now her other knee is starting to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it was described to me as basically her they're too long. There's too much flex in there. Mm-hmm. So the knees keep popping out. And the doctor said that she can do exercises and that can help. But she's like probably most people, she just doesn't want to be told something. Uh, yes. <laughs> have you seen something like that before? Like specifically with the knees yeah. popping out? Yeah. Yeah. It can definitely happen. It, it can happen two ways. Like how you said she's born like that. And then sometimes people will have a traumatic event. Like they are on a trampoline and 
land weird. Their knee pops out. And then after that, their ligaments are stretched out. So it yeah. can keep happening. But yeah, definitely. I think in her case, the doctor said she was born like that. And the yeah. traumatic event that would trigger the knee going out would be like going to the kitchen to get a glass of water. It was rarely ever like yeah. something like. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah <laughs> definitely. Crazy. Yeah, I heard yeah. of that. Yeah. How's she, how's she doing after the surgery? Uh, she's doing well. The knee that had surgery is much better now than the other knee. The doctor said like they were hoping that she was going to basically finish growing and that would fix mm -hmm. itself before it gets worse. But if it started happening more frequently, he was like, expect another surgery. So yeah. it, it just started happening. Not regularly, but it just started happening again. Yay. Yeah. Uh, surgery. Sounds like a fun time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a big surgery uh, to recover from. Yeah, she had a lot of recovery time. To the point that like, yeah, you've ever seen somebody with a torn ACL or something, like the leg muscles weren't even the same size anymore yeah, by the mm -hmm. time the, yeah. the time of recovery took place. Yeah. 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 But what are some of the crazier things you've seen if you're allowed to talk about them? Oh gosh, that's a good question. I feel like I don't get anything that's like super crazy. I don't know. Yeah, I see, I just see a lot, obviously, it's not especially in the hip and low back pain. And one time I had a patient say that he was doing some kind of dancing and he just kicked his leg too high and started having pain <laughs> after that. So like line dancing things. Sometimes I'll get like two step. Yeah. <laughs> crazy stories there. So the most common things you'd see are going to be back pain, hip pain, knee pain. Yeah. I'm a lot of that low generalized low back pain, anterior hip pain, where it's like that pinching kind of in the groin area. I'll see that a lot. Yeah, those are probably the two biggest things. And then any knee pain or ankle pain is usually more of actually like a hip problem, um, yeah. usually coming from a little bit further up in the body. Now, what do you think some of the most damaging repetitive use or, or positions that are most common today are? What, what should people be thinking, hey, I should probably do something to counteract all of this? Sitting. Yeah. That's probably the worst thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm... I generally will never tell someone as far as exercise, oh, this is dangerous. You shouldn't do it. I believe everyone's tolerance is really different. Some people can tolerate long distance running for many years. Other people can't. But I really think sitting is like the number one thing that yeah. is just bad for people. It just shortens the muscles in front of your hips. It kind of pulls your pelvis forward. And we just do it way too much. And it's hard for a lot of people if they have to travel for work. But if yeah. they can spend time you know, undoing some of the sitting. I think that's really important. What do you important. think about standing desks? Does that help? Or is the answer more take more breaks? No, I think standing desks are great. And I usually recommend people get a, a tall stool, like a bar stool too. So that way they can sit and take their weight off their legs, but their hips are still in a more open position or get a little step stool that you can put one foot on. Because the only problem is that if you're standing for a long period of time and you get tired, people will fall into this kind of anterior pelvic tilt position where they're arching their back and not really, again, using no. the right muscles to stabilize, and then that can shorten the hip. My wife's company bought her standing desk. Everybody's working from home to help out with stuff like this. Yeah. And she ended up going online and buying one of those like kitchen mats that has the foam in there because standing all day really made her feet hurt by the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. Um, that's a good point about the anterior tilt and then also upper cross syndrome because if they get tired and mm -hmm. lean more and more forward... And then I've also heard mixed reviews on the stability ball, Use it sitting on a stability ball to keep the core more engaged. What are your thoughts on that? I've heard, I've heard good and bad. I think, I think it's fine. I, I think you 
probably just like anything, you wouldn't want to necessarily sit for eight hours, even if it is on a stability ball. So still taking those breaks, but it can be a good way just to mix it up because you can sort of move your hips around, kind of get a little bit more mobility through your pelvis if you're sitting on there versus a chair where you're just a little bit more static. Yeah. For me, it just feels a little like the same if I watched a workout session for an hour on TV that I feel like that's I'm close to exercise. I feel like that's what <laughs> sitting on an exercise ball is. Like I'm, yeah. I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in exercise's neighborhood. Exactly. Like, <laughs> through osmosis, I should have killer I watched an hour yeah. of Tony Horton, so that counts. I'm good. With my popcorn. And <laughs> what about that? I know for me, what made a big difference, and I don't know why it took me so long to realize it, but for years and years, my uh, monitor was too low. And now mm-hmm. when I built my new desk, which is in the other room, I moved my monitor up to eye level, which felt astronomically higher than I right. used to keep my monitor. And my neck and shoulders feel so much better. Oh, yeah. Something really silly like show that I probably should have, I could have solved with a, like a quasi hard box <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like a decade ago. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I like to put our instant pot, the pot part upside down on our kitchen counter and put my laptop on. Yeah. There. You got to find that thing that's the right height, whatever yeah, it is yeah. in your house. Yeah. You know? I got an instant pot. I love that thing. Should, yeah. we pl- should we plug them real quick? You can make your rice while you work. Exactly. Yep. And it yeah. gets the lectins out. So I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think any, pos- there's no bad position, but any position you're in for an extended period of time, something's not going to feel good. So it's not that we can never look down, we can never round our back. But like you said, if you're on your computer for the entire day and it's too low, yeah, then that's probably not going to feel good. Yeah, and I kept trying to explain this to my wife, but we didn't have anything that was the right height. So we, we never moved her monitor up. And then when her work bought her that standing desk, it's one that has a little power button on the side. And it's resting height is like perfect for when she's sitting that her monitor can't go lower. And it's like, oh, yeah, nice. this is a huge difference. I don't know why people don't know yeah. this. And, and if you're that person, we're sick of looking up your nose on Zoom, all right? Just get <laughs> something to stick your computer up higher on. <laughs> Any recommendations for people that drive a lot? What should they be thinking about with their position, how they hold the steering wheel? So I really like to recommend people get a lacrosse ball or tennis ball and actually two of them. And you can either tape it together or put them in a sock so they stay connected. And then you can put it on your back, like anywhere from your upper back to lower back. Maybe put it on your side a little bit. And that can just give you a little bit like a massage while you're sitting there and prompt you to sit in a little bit different position every now and then you can move it around. And I think that helps a lot just with a lot of stiffness that people will start to accumulate. Have you ever, this is off topic. Have you ever seen Jiminy Glick? It's a Martin Short character Mm -hmm. and he switches positions every 10 seconds on his couch. I bet he never has back issues. (laughs) Probably not. It's hysterical to watch. Um, Anyway, no, that's a good point. And I used to keep a lacrosse ball in the the car. Like I always had a tight piriformis. I tried running and my body freaking hates running. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was a marathoner for three years. And I think that's where a lot of my orthopedic issues came from. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I do think there's other people that really flourish doing it. Not my body. But that's a good point. Yeah. Driving my daughter's now getting her permit and they change 10 and 2. They tell kids now to do 9 and 3. Ah, oh, interesting. Crazy. I wonder why. <laughs> I bet there was a committee that they had five years. <laughs> it was probably like a, a $7 million dollar study involving <laughs> like 14 states. And like a, a sample size of 300,000 yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> Absorbent amounts of government money. Then <laughs> 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 we all just went handed anyway. Oh. Now, what are some. Uh, if, if you could tell somebody, do these three things to help with some of the most dysfunctional patterns you could fall in, what do you think those would be? Whether it be exercises or... Oh, yeah. Definitely the Bretzel stretch. Yeah. Yeah. That one's the best. Is uh, it gluten-free? 
Is, is this gluten free? So, so describe <laughs> um, it. Hopefully people can follow as they're listening. So you're going to lay on your back and we'll, we'll just do our right leg. So we'll bring our right leg up and over our body. Grab it with your left hand. And then you're going to bend your left knee and grab that with your right hand. So you're getting a twist through your spine. My right leg is getting a glute stretch and my left leg is getting a quad stretch. John Bottega, if you're listening, this episode is for you. <laughs> Brandon um, shouted to me and then he's like, now let your shoulder relax and hit the floor. And I'm like, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that's that's yeah, it. So, that's what you're looking at. Some people need you know? some modification of a yoga block under the top leg or a, a strap to grab their foot. But that one's really good. And then I think... Working on pelvis and rib cage mobility. So working on being able to tilt your pelvis forward into what we call an anterior tilt and then backward into a posterior tilt and being able to find the difference or feel the difference between those two. And then also the rib cage being able to expand and then bring the rib cage down because that's something that people also tend to have their ribs flared because they think they need their chest sticking way up. And then when our ribs flare, our diaphragm muscle doesn't work as well. And then, like I mentioned, the pelvic floor earlier, then that's not working. So it's just being able to move in those different positions and find that kind of good neutral position, I think is really important. So like cat-cow from yoga, would that help with that? Yeah, that'd be a good one to do because we're getting both into the pelvis and the ribs. Yeah. Some of the other premise of the show is just kind of this idea of transformation. Have you, do you have anything that sticks out in your mind that really was your transformative story, either professionally, personally, spiritually, Mm -hmm. anything like that? So I never thought I would be a business owner. It's something I I was like, I'm never going to do that. It doesn't sound fun to me. I don't know. I just really had no interest in it. So it's crazy for me to be here today owning a business and absolutely loving it. And I really came into it by accident. I was just a little burned out in my other job and just felt like I needed a change. I, I didn't think I wanted to leave the profession altogether, but I just felt like I needed something different. And so when I had my son, I had left my other job and then actually started doing home health, working with kids. This is mostly kids with disabilities. And I actually liked it more than I thought I would. The kids were really great and it was just really fun for me to learn something new, different side of PT. But I still had this sort of like longing for what I was doing and it just worked out for me to start my business. So I rent space out of a gym. So that was easy. That was already set up for me. And then it just grew from there. So it was um, an accidental transformation. That's awesome. Yeah. The majority of your clients, are they coming in looking for PT? <laughs> PE. <laughs> yeah. They're coming in like, where's the dodgeball? Is this the right place? Yeah. So most of my clients have some type of injury. Uh, some of them more just want to be active and get back into working out, but maybe have some old injuries or issues that they just want someone who knows a little bit more about that to work with them just in order to be mindful. So that can be pretty smart. That's like consulting a doctor before you start a new crazy diet. Like mm-hmm. before you decide, like, I'm going to get crazy into working out and then go hurt yourself, mm-hmm. especially if you have pre-existing conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I love about what I do is that it can be preventative and maintenance as well. You don't have to be injured to come see me, which I think is really cool. Absolutely. How long have you had your practice? I started it in October of 2020. Wow. Six months Right now. as the world <laughs> was falling apart. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Now, I, f- I feel pretty lucky that by October, people weren't quite as, you know, worried in it. Um, so you had to weather like all the gyms getting shut down then if you were meeting in a gym or were you guys deemed um, essential because of the 
So, uh, so I wasn't even, didn't even have my business when the gym was shut down since that was more like March, April, May. And then the gym was open again in June. I think we started just doing outdoor classes and then it slowly were able to go back inside. But uh, physical therapy is essential. So luckily if that did happen again, which I hope it does not, I would still be able to operate. Yeah. That's awesome. I wanted to, I want to sincerely thank you for coming on the show and I'm very sincere in my referral. I literally trusted you with my mother and you did a wonderful job with her. So is she doing okay? She's doing great. She's in Florida and loving it Good. and, and has a lot more strategies and tools to help with chronic back pain. And so thank you for that. If people wanted to get in touch with you, contact you, find you, how do they reach out to you? So I'm on Instagram. So I'm functional underscore physio underscore PT and that's physio with a Z, so P-H-Y-Z-I-O. And then also my website, functionalphysiopt.com. And you can get in touch with me through either of those. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you did, uh, go check us out at firewithinnf.com. You can subscribe to our newsletters and make sure you never miss an episode or any other content. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. 